Welcome back to the Mastering Your Fertility podcast. This show is all about reclaiming health, enhancing fertility, and preparing for pregnancy. I'm Kristen Cornett, a holistic nutritionist and functional wellness practitioner at Tiny Feet. And I'm Dr. Haley Knight, a naturopathic doctor and certified nutritionist at Synergy Women's Healthcare in Portland, Oregon. Our goal with this show is to educate and empower couples with the knowledge they need to get pregnant, stay pregnant, and have the healthiest baby possible. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. We appreciate you being here and we hope that you're able to learn something valuable to help you on your journey. If you're looking for more personalized one-on-one guidance for your health and fertility struggles, you can learn more about working remotely with me, Kristen, by visiting my website at tinyfeet.co, or you can schedule a free 20-minute phone consult now through the link in the podcast episode description. If you're local to the Portland, Oregon area, you can learn more about seeing Dr. Haley in person at her clinic by visiting drhaley.com. We've also created an online course together called Fertile in 5 Masterclass, which walks you through everything you need to know to prepare for a healthy pregnancy. To make this information more accessible during this time of economic uncertainty, Fertile in 5 is currently on sale for more than 50% off the regular price through June 1st, 2020, and you can learn more and get signed up through the link in the episode description. You can also get a preview of Module 3 of the course by checking out the How to Choose the Best Prenatal Supplements online mini course, which is also linked in this week's episode description. You're listening to episode 73, where we're going to be helping you understand your options for getting to the root cause of unexplained infertility. Now, I've made no secret of my disdain for this particular label in fertility medicine. We are naturally built to reproduce as humans, and if it's not happening, there's always a reason for it. The only thing the unexplained label means to me as a practitioner is that we just haven't looked in the right places yet to explain your particular case. But the evaluation process in conventional medicine is really focused only on the reproductive system, menstrual cycle, the ovaries, the anatomy of the uterus and fallopian tubes, and a basic assessment of your partner's semen parameters. There's little to no investigation at all into how other health issues or body systems might be affecting fertility. And in my opinion, that's really why 20 to 30% of infertility cases receive no definitive diagnosis after the typical medical evaluation. Now, usually couples who are labeled unexplained are referred to conventional fertility treatment like IUI and IVF so that science can try to control for as many variables as possible in the conception process. But that path isn't right for every couple, and it's also not accessible to everyone, especially right now during COVID-19 when many treatment cycles are being placed on hold. So today is all about exploring your options for further testing and investigation so you can get more concrete answers on what might be happening with your fertility and what natural approaches you can consider to get things back on track. If you're interested in exploring any of these areas we're going to talk about today in more depth, definitely don't hesitate to schedule a 20-minute consult with me to discuss your options for working together. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. So the first thing that we want to go over before we really start getting into all of the strategies and testing and different things that we're going to talk about to kind of explain that unexplained diagnosis, I first want to go over what should have already been tested in conventional medicine before you receive an unexplained infertility diagnosis. So if you haven't received the following testing, then you're not unexplained yet from a conventional perspective. Some of these tests, if you haven't been to a fertility clinic yet and you're just with your OBGYN, maybe 
some of these haven't been done. Um, but this, these are the basics that you'll really want to make sure that you have your doctor or a fertility clinic look at prior to going further with fertility treatment. So the first category of tests fall under confirming ovulatory status and ovarian function. So basically, are you ovulating and are your ovaries still functional at your age? So uh, some of the first things that you can look at here for testing are some day three, so drawn on cycle day three hormones, uh, and those include FSH and estradiol. I also prefer to have an LH, although I have noticed that a lot of clients have not necessarily had their LH drawn on day three, but I do find it more helpful to look at all three of those. But technically, if you're going to get a diminished ovarian reserve or a premature ovarian insufficiency type of diagnosis, really all that's required in conventional medicine to give that is an FSH and an estradiol usually an AMH as well, but that's another one that's not always included. So those three tests can help assess for um, ovarian function, whether or not you might be you know, heading toward like a perimenopause type picture or diminished ovarian reserve. Another one that should be done, and I find this one has been frequently missed as well, is a progesterone test seven days after confirmed ovulation. And it obviously really helps to be tracking your cycle so you know exactly when you've ovulated. Sometimes fertility clinics will do ultrasounds to kind of confirm ovulation as well. And then maybe test progesterone seven days after that. But it is a really good idea for you to also be tracking your cycle because that's additional information that you can provide your healthcare providers so that they can, um, you know, figure out how to assess you better with that information. You can also be using things like ovulation predictor kits or OPKs, um, but tracking your basal body temperature and cervical mucus is an awesome way to figure out when you're ovulating. And that progesterone test is going to tell you whether or not you're producing enough progesterone to prime and prep the uterine lining for implantation and sustain early stages of a pregnancy. So progesterone is low, that could be causing fertility issues. Um, I also recommend that you have your AMH or anti-mullerian hormone measured. That is produced by follicles that are being recruited by FSH. And so that is a measure of ovarian reserve. Um, as well as having a prolactin test done. Prolactin um, can, if it's high, it can prevent ovulation from happening. So that's a good one to have looked at. Um, a TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone that will typically be looked at in conventional medicine, but later Dr. Haley is going to talk about why that's not a complete assessment of the thyroid, but it will likely be done in conventional medicine. And then it's also a good idea to have your male hormones measured. So your androgen hormones, DHEA or DHEAS, testosterone, and possibly free testosterone as well, especially if there's possibly like a PCOS picture going on with you. The next type of assessments that you would want to have done is testing for anatomical defects and tubal patency. So are your fallopian tubes open and are there any growths or issues with the anatomy of the uterus that might be preventing a pregnancy from taking place? So one test that you should have done between day seven and day 12 of your cycle is a hysterocelpingogram or an HSG. And that one is going to check for uh, whether or not the fallopian tubes are open. Um, you can also have like a specialized ultrasound or a hysteroscopy that can, those can help check for anatomical abnormalities or issues or growths in the uterus. So like polyps or fibroids, or, you know, there are even some congenital defects with the uterus that can be checked for through those tests as well. 
And then the last category of testing is not for you, it's for your male partner. We never want to forget a semen analysis in these initial assessments for fertility because your partner is going to be 50% of the genetic material that's going to make up your baby. And it is important to make sure that he has healthy sperm. If he doesn't, it's going to be really difficult for you guys to conceive. So the typical parameters that are measured in a basic semen analysis include the count and concentration of sperm the motility or the ability for sperm to swim and move toward an egg, and the morphology, which is the shape. They need to be an appropriate shape to actually fuse with the egg and create that fertilization reaction. So morphology is really important. It's not likely in most conventional settings that you will have an assessment for DNA damage done, but that is another option, and some fertility clinics may order that to check for the quality of the DNA within individual sperm. And so if your partner has a high percentage of DNA damage, even though all of his other semen parameters look normal, that can also be an explanation for trouble conceiving. So if uh, all of these tests have not been run for you in conventional medicine, then I in my opinion, you're short of what would be required for an, an unexplained infertility diagnosis. And then of course, from a functional and more natural perspective, you're way short <laughs> of what would be required for an unexplained infertility diagnosis. So hopefully that was a good overview of what should have already been done if you're at this point. Now, if you listen to all of that and you've had all of those tests done and you're still in that unexplained boat, the rest of this episode is 100% for you. So we are gonna start diving into the individual types of testing and investigation that are available, especially in functional and naturopathic medicine. Some functional nutritionists like myself do these as well. So let's get started on that. And the first category that we're going to go over is additional blood testing to consider in addition to the ones that we just talked about. So Dr. Haley, take it away on blood testing. Okay, great. Thanks, Kristen, so much. Uh, and thank you for listing out all the conventional tests that you would do before getting an unexplained fertility diagnosis. I just would add one more thing and just making sure that your male partners also have a full physical exam. Sometimes it's hard to get them to the doctor, but there are other anatomical reasons why you could be struggling, such as um, a varicocele, which is um, blood uh, buildup in the scrotum. So you want to make sure that they have a full physical exam and make sure there's nothing actually anatomically happening on the male end of that. So um, now let's go ahead and talk about some additional blood testing. Hopefully you guys will find this interesting and maybe help give you some ideas on what additional tests that you can have done. Um, first, I wanna preface that these tests should be interpreted from a functional medicine perspective um, because the reference ranges are so wide in conventional medicine that um, a lot of things can be missed um, which can lead to unexplained infertility, even if you're within that reference range. So um, it could be really helpful and quite necessary actually to have it interpreted again from a functional medicine perspective. So the first test that I'm gonna talk about is a full thyroid panel. So Krista mentioned uh, thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH. It's pretty common to get that tested um, from your general practitioner um, or your OBGYN. Um, but usually they don't order a full panel. So what that means is you're also going to include a free T4 and a free T3. Um, also a reverse T3 can be helpful and that can help uh, us recognize if there's any type of um, chronic illness going on in the background. 
or chronic inflammation. And then also thyroid antibodies. So that will be uh, TPO antibodies and TG antibodies or thyroglobulin. So there's two different types. Um, sometimes they will just order the TPO, which is definitely the most common type of antibody that is usually elevated, but the thyroglobulin or TG antibodies can also be elevated and often gets missed. And so if those are positive, then that's going to give you like an autoimmune thyroid diagnosis, and that's going to change your approach to, um, to how you're treating your thyroid. So make sure that you get that panel done. And then if you have a lot more questions on thyroid, <laughs> we have a full episode that we dive in really deep on uh, thyroid and what you can do to help fix it. Uh, the next one would be a complete blood count with differential. And basically that is going to test your red blood cells at the size and shape of them, how much hemoglobin you have in those red blood cells, and then also your white blood cells. And it will tell us uh, if you have, if you lean more towards like maybe a chronic viral infection or a chronic bacterial infection. Um, so all of that can be de uh, determined based on once again, through like a functional medicine perspective. It will also tell us if you have certain nutritional deficiencies such as iron or B12. And so um, it's a really, very, very simple test. It should be really easy to get and you probably already had it done. Um, but again, large, re large reference ranges. And so at first glance, it could be completely normal to like conventional medicine eye, but uh, there's a lot of subtle things that we can find in there that can give us some really good answers. Um, also, the, uh, the next test would be a comprehensive metabolic panel. So this, again, is, is usually ordered with a complete blood count. It's really simple, cheap, but it, it gives us a ton of information, and it's going to give us some information on your electrolyte balance at first glance, you know, at the time of the blood draw, so like calcium, magnesium, um, carbon dioxide in your blood, and then also your liver enzymes. So those can be um, borderline elevated, meaning that they're not over the reference range, but that gives us an idea if your liver is struggling a little bit. And then also your kidney function. And the next one would be a lipid panel. Your lipid panel is going to include, include that just kind of general um, lipids that you hear about like uh, good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, and total cholesterol, and your triglycerides. Uh, that can give us another sign if you're, so it's not just to like detect heart disease, but it also is going to give us a sign of like liver function. How well is your liver functioning? If your cholesterol is elevated and your LDL is really high, um, then that, does, that doesn't mean that like someday you might have a heart attack. It means that your liver is actually struggling right now in the moment and it probably has to do with your diet, <laughs> but it can also have to do with um, a lot of other things. Um, so that is important to interpret once again, um, functionally. The next one is a vitamin D test. Uh, we talk a lot about how important vitamin D is to preconception and fertility. Um, and there's not a lot of research that shows that like it's co totally connected to infertility. There are some studies with um, within IVF studies that shows that it's not as successful if the vitamin D is very low. So it is really important to have done. And um, we're looking for a vitamin D up in like around the 40 to 60-ish range. And it really is individualized based on your specific picture. So if you have, if you tend to more 
towards more like chronic inflammation or autoimmunity, then you may want to have it a little bit higher. So important to work with somebody on that. The next one is homocysteine. So this is one that a lot of people haven't heard of, but it is really important during uh, preconception and fertility. That's why we do it on all of our patients or clients. And this one is going to give us a sign of like nutrient deficiency or how well you're methylating. So methylation, we, we talk about that a lot in the podcast too, and how important that is for like detoxification and liver function. Um, so homocysteine, we want to have it be at least like right around the eight range or between like six and eight. And, um, but the reference range really doesn't actually throw you a red flag unless it's like 14 or higher. So, uh, and as you know, like a lot of doctors probably won't order this particular test unless you can somehow explain to them why it's so important, but there's actually a lot of research out there. Well, I shouldn't say a lot of research, but there's been some pretty good substantial studies out there just recently about how important homocysteine is to the um, conception and then also reducing your risk of miscarriage and then just the health of the pregnancy as well. And they do um, show that anything from nine or above starts to show sign of these like increased risk. So it is really important. Especially if um, you've had a history of pregnancy loss. Yes. Yeah, that is good. Good point. All right. And then the next one is a C-reactive protein. So this is kind of aligned with a homocysteine test. It's another like kind of inflammation type of marker. And it gives us a clue on if there's something brewing in the background that we just can't, haven't quite put our thumb on. So um, a, a C-reactive protein, again, is very generalized inflammation type of marker. We can't pinpoint it to any one thing, but it does give, um, once again, a clue to see if we need to investigate further for something that's really bothering your system. And then the next one is a fasting insulin. And the fasting insulin, uh, once again, we talk about blood sugar control a lot on the podcast. And so that's why we like to have a fasting insulin. Um, and that's going to let us know if you're having any blood sugar control issues. And um, an insulin, a fasting insulin is going to give us an earlier detection of insulin resistance than just a fasting glucose will. So um, that's why we like to order that one as well. And then uh, a hemoglobin A1C, this is actually a pretty common one that uh, doctors will order. They'll screen for diabetes. And this is going to give you uh, a clue to what your blood sugar was on an average basis over the last three months. So it's a really good sign of telling us like, okay, you're either pre-diabetic or you're diabetic or you're heading in that direction. And um, the reason why we talk so much about blood sugar on the podcast is because our ovaries or our egg, our egg quality is really sensitive to those fluctuations in insulin. And then thus, because because of that, our hormones become very sensitive to the fluctuation in insulin secretion. And a lot of that has to do with diet. Um, some of it has to do with genetics. And so again, it's going to be based on very individualistic type of like treatment plan for people based on these results. Um, so that is it for those type of tests there. And uh, you may be asking, well, do I have to get all those done? What about like, you know, can I just get like half of them done? Well, no, we actually do recommend that everybody 
get all of these done. Um, they, they can give us some really good clues. And if anything, it's just going to be able to um, kind of cross off anything that we might be considering. And so it can either like um, count things in or count things out and, and lead us into more of a more narrowed, focused approach on, on your um, unexplained infertility diagnosis. And so um, it will also help us decide whether, what additional tests that we should run. So again, focused approach on your diagnosis. And um, I mentioned this before, but most of these tests just are not going to be run by an OBGYN or reproductive endocrinologist. And it's not because, you know, they're like purposely not running them for you. It's just that they're, they're just not trained in a very functional type of approach. And um, they, you know, they haven't quite got to the point where they find that it's absolutely necessary for And their main goal is that they're going to be using reproductive technology to get you pregnant, like hormones and injections and, and like, you know, egg retrieval and um, uh, tra embryo transplant and all that. So they, they're not really thinking about like, oh, what about that chronic inflammation? And, you know, that homocysteine is a little bit high. Like that's just not top of their list. They don't, they don't think it's very relevant because they're using such like high force technology to get you pregnant. I think a lot of reproductive endocrinologists probably, they view this type of testing as really more in the scope of practice of a primary care physician. And these, a lot of these, with the exception of like the full thyroid panel and maybe like the homocysteine and the C-reactive protein, a lot of those are going to be run um, with a primary care physician at like a yearly physical or something like that. And so I think it's assumed that a lot of this testing has already been done. And because they are looking at those much wider reference ranges, it's really more like can we diagnose you with something or can we not? And if we can't, then the testing didn't tell us anything. And so just looking at it from that functional perspective, like you said, Dr. Haley is, is just so much more illuminating. There's so much more that we're looking for. Yeah, totally. Good point. Yeah. So uh, now that you've gotten those tests done, hopefully, <laughs> or at least written down and it's on your to-do list, uh, the next thing that we want to talk about is testing for gut health. So when you have an unexplained infertility diagnosis, it can be super frustrating, um, but uh, there's a lot more that can be done besides just the tests that we've mentioned that can lead us further into figuring out if this is an issue for you. So Kristen's gonna talk about what you could do to test to see if like your gut is actually um, part of the source of the problem. Yeah. Thanks. So this gut health testing is definitely something that I think everyone can benefit from, but not everybody necessarily comes in in a, in a space where I would say, yes, this is the first thing that needs to be done. So I will say that depending on symptoms, I might recommend this right off the bat, or I might use like a blood panel as kind of an initial screening tool. You know, if we find something on that complete blood count, that's a little bit out of whack with your right white blood cells might indicate some kind of like a chronic infection. The gut is one of the first places that we would look for that. So sometimes this is a right away type of a test and sometimes this is a more of a follow-up or an additional investigation type of a test. But the reason that we focus on this so much, if you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you have heard us talk about gut health quite a few times in different episodes, but gut health is really foundational to your overall health. And that also makes it foundational to optimal fertility. And so some of the issues that we know can come up with fertility when gut health is not in good shape, we can end up with nutrient deficiencies from poor absorption in the GI tract. So nutrients that are really critical for your menstrual cycle, 
especially baby's development as well, are going to be like iron and B vitamins, some of the other minerals. Those are ones that can lead to potentially anemia as well, which can affect the, the cycle and fertility. Other issues that can come up from poor gut health are inflammation and inappropriate activation of your immune system. So because your GI tract is kind of that major point of contact between your the inside of your body and the outside world, like the food that you're ingesting, most of the immune system is located in and around the gut. And so if we're like ingesting things or have infections, things that aren't working well for our body that are happening in the GI tract, that's really going to signal inflammation and inappropriate activation of the immune system in some susceptible individuals or people that already have genetic predispositions or other risk factors. This can lead even to autoimmune disease. And autoimmunity is something that is not easily diagnosed in conventional medicine. It's not something that a lot of doctors feel comfortable diagnosing. And so if gut health is really off, that could potentially result in a hidden autoimmune diagnosis that hasn't been detected yet. Another thing that poor gut health can cause is hormone imbalances. So your hormones that are processed and packaged up and ready to leave your body um, after being processed in the liver, that elimination happens in the GI tract. So if you're constipated or you have slow gut motility or you have certain types of bacteria in your gut that can unpackage those hormones that have been ready to be eliminated, um, that can really affect your hormone balance. You can start reabsorbing, especially with estrogen, you can start reabsorbing that through the gut lining and have that circulating again in your body after it's been prepared to be eliminated. So if you are somebody that has kind of an excess estrogen type of picture, this could be a really major factor for you. Another thing that can be caused by poor gut health is poor detoxification. And so just like the liver processes and gets ready to eliminate hormones from the body, it also processes other things that we're exposed to, chemicals and toxins in our environment. Those are injected into the GI tract through our bile, which is stored in our gallbladder. So all of those organs functioning really well is important, as well as the gut being able to fully eliminate those toxins from the body. And if we're not able to do that, that can cause reabsorption into the system, that can be inflammatory and damaging to our tissues. It can affect our ovarian function and it can affect our egg quality. Now, one thing that we, that we talked about when we were discussing the conventional evaluation options, we talked about some tests that look at you know, diminished ovarian reserve and they kind of hint at what might be going on with egg quality. Like if you have diminished ovarian reserve, a lot of times it's assumed that you have poor egg quality. But realistically, we don't actually have a way to test your egg quality directly. Like how affected are your egg cells from environmental toxins or lack of nutrition? We don't have that information available in accessible testing. And eggs are, let's face it, eggs are kind of hard to get to <laughs> in the body, much harder than being able to like test sperm quality, for instance. And so it is really important to consider some of those things that we're not able to test for, like what are some of those hidden exposures like toxicity or, you know, inappropriate hormone exposure or nutrient deficiencies, what is that actually doing to the quality of our eggs? And the answer is we don't know, but these are some areas that we can look at when we have an unexplained type of picture. So let's talk about gut testing. First of all, who should have it done? Um, there are some obvious symptoms that would tell me immediately that you could benefit from some gut testing and also some more systemic or not directly gut related type of symptoms that would also signify that gut testing would be helpful. So some of the obvious symptoms are going to be all of those typical GI symptoms, bloating, belching, indigestion, 
acid reflux, constipation or diarrhea, cramping, having undigested food in your stool, all of those symptoms that if you have any of these, you are definitely familiar with them. And then some of the systemic symptoms that you might not immediately connect to your gut, but can actually be very highly related to gut health are having food allergies or sensitivities, like just not feeling right when you eat certain things or maybe having like skin uh, symptoms, rashes or breakouts. If you suffer from seasonal allergies, that can be a really good indication that there's something going on with gut health. Um, even acne or rosacea or eczema, like not just breaking out in hives after eating certain foods, but actually having chronic skin conditions can be related to your gut. Also chronic issues in the urinary or vaginal microbiome area. So like yeast infections or recurrent bacterial vaginosis, autoimmune conditions, um, which you may not notice that you have gut symptoms, but if you have been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, there is a gut health component to that condition. Also mental health issues. I think we talked about mental health in episode 44 or 45 of the podcast pretty extensively. And we did go into gut health in that episode because mental health is very heavily related to inflammation. And because so much of our immune system is in the gut, it's one of the main places that we can have some of that inflammatory activation that can affect mental health. So if you suffer from depression or anxiety or even severe PMS or PMDD, inflammation and gut health, those are definitely some things that you should look at. So as far as the types of testing that you can consider, if any of those symptoms are resonating with you and you think this might be an area that you could look further into for your fertility, there are a couple of different types of testing that are available for stool testing. Um, the two that I see most often in practice and use myself, I typically use GI map more often, but I have also started using Genova GI effects with some people. The difference between these tests is really dependent on what you're looking for. So if I'm looking more for whether or not someone might have a hidden infection or a pathogen, I'm using GI map. If I'm looking more for digestive function and the balance of beneficial bacteria or maybe just some general dysbiosis, um, I'm more likely to use Genova GI effects. So it just depends on what I'm looking for. But these tests can help identify things like pathogenic bacteria, parasites, yeast, viruses, or fungi that are growing in the GI tract. It also can help measure levels of beneficial bacteria. So how many good guys do you have in comparison to bad guys that can be have a big impact on your gut function as well as how your immune system is working in the gut. These tests also help assess functional digestive markers. So it can help us see whether or not all of your digestive organs are working properly. Do you have enough stomach acid? Is your pancreas putting out enough digestive enzymes? Are you digesting your fats well? Is your liver and gallbladder function optimal? And we can also get information about whether or not there's any inflammation going on in the gut or if your immune system is really highly activated from an infection or really depressed from more of like a chronic situation or food sensitivities something like that. We can get all of that information from these tests. So they are information powerhouses and there's a lot that we can do with this information. And then the next type of testing that I would typically consider, especially if someone's already had a stool test done or they have certain symptoms that are really consistent with small intestine bacterial overgrowth. We've talked about SIBO a few times on the podcast, um, but SIBO testing is another thing I might consider for somebody that really suffers heavily from a lot of bloating 
upper GI symptoms or, you know, diarrhea or constipation. Depending on the symptom presentation, I might do a SIBO test first, or I might opt for a stool test first and then do SIBO if we're, if we're not getting resolution on gut symptoms with a protocol to address the stool test findings. And so that basically that test is just looking for overgrowths of bacteria in the small intestine where we're not supposed to have as much bacteria and that can cause a lot of health issues. So um, you can learn more about gut testing and why this is so important for fertility in several different episodes throughout the podcast. We talk about it in episodes 9, 10, and 11. We did kind of a gut trio of episodes early on in the podcast. We also talked about um, gut health with Dr. Jocelyn Strand, who's a naturopathic doctor that works for one of the companies that makes some of the products that we really like for gut rebalancing. And then we also more recently did an episode with Dr. Allison Seebecker that's all about SIBO. And we did that sometime recently, episode 62 of the podcast was all about IBS and SIBO. So you can learn more in those episodes. And then just a quick note on what it actually looks like to address these findings. Like, hey, if you do one of these tests with a local naturopathic doctor, if you choose to come and see me remotely, we can do this testing remotely as well as manage protocols remotely. But as far as what it looks like, it really depends on what we find. But usually a gut rebalancing protocol is about 10 to 12 weeks long. And it is typically necessary um, to stop trying to conceive during this time just to make sure that you know, if you're using certain products that aren't safe for pregnancy, that you're not accidentally exposing um, your baby to something that wouldn't be safe in, in the early stages of pregnancy. So that is pretty much the summary on gut health. Uh, I know that a lot of you out there can probably really benefit from this testing. This is something that's almost never looked at in conventional medicine. So it is a great place to look if you struggle with some of these symptoms and you're kind of wondering like, hey, could this have something to do with my fertility? Yeah. That was a really good overview. Awesome. Thanks. I tried to make it quick, but it's a big topic. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Because we just listed off what, like seven episodes that we've done on this particular topic at health. That's and obviously awesome. we mentioned it many times during a lot of the other episodes. So great. So next up is going to be another functional testing topic. Dr. Haley is going to cover this one for us. And it's going to be all about functional hormone testing. In other words, getting a more complete evaluation of what's happening with your hormones than what conventional medicine typically offers. Yeah. So most of us, when we get our hormones tested, we think about just getting our blood drawn and we have the hormones tested there. Um, I just have to make a quick note about getting your tests, your hormones tested is that please make sure that you're doing it with somebody who really knows what they're doing because uh, as a female, our hormones fluctuate on a day-to-day -day basis. It's really important to get them done on a certain day of your cycle. Like Krista mentioned at the very beginning, when you're getting your LH and FSH and your estradiol tested, that it's tested sometime between day two, three, maximum four of your cycle, um, because that's how we interpret these. Um, that's how we have like a conventional type of interpretation of what that actually means for you. Um, I know that there's a lot of doctors that will test your hormones just randomly at any day of the cycle. And even though the reference range is there for that particular time of your cycle, like follicular or luteal phase, it's really hard to interpret. And oftentimes it's just not even correct because it's once again, the reference range is so wide. Okay, off my soapbox for that. So functional hormone testing, 
is a complete evaluation of hormones through some type of like dried urine is that's what we like to use the most um, or you can also do it through saliva so that's something that we don't do as often but it doesn't necessarily completely negate that it's not a good test it's just it is something that is available and um, you could test through saliva as well so uh, who should be doing these type of functional hormone testing if you have painful or heavy periods um, light periods so maybe it's only like light spotting like two or three days long that would be a good um, indication that you want to get further testing if you have PMS or pretty good uh, mood issues around your cycle or right before your cycle starts, um, spotting in between your periods, uh, breast tenderness. Um, so not just like a little bit of breast tenderness, but like, you know, it's like tender to touch. Like that, that's not, not necessarily normal. Like <laughs> really happen. swollen, really swollen and swollen. heavy breasts along mm -hmm. with all that tenderness as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or really super lumpy, like fibrocystic breast tissue. Also, uh, low libido or a change in your sex drive. If you're noticing that you're just really not into, you know, getting in the bed with your partner. Uh, also vaginal dryness or noticing that you're not producing enough cervical mucus around your time of ovulation acne and thinning hair or thinning scalp hair so you know your hair is kind of falling out and um or you're growing body hair somewhere that you don't want it to grow so like on your chin or on your chest or on your lower belly um so all real good indications also if your cycle is just irregular that could be another sign that you'll want to get tested for um, functional hormone testing so I did mention the dried urine test. That is something uh, that we do through Dutch or Precision Analytical. Uh, we've had Dr. Carrie Jones on the show a couple of times. And she she's actually a representative um, and works for Dutch Labs. And um, she is, is really a wealth of knowledge. And so I really recommend going back and listening to those episodes. But the Dutch test we really like because it's going to test for urine metabolites of your hormones. And so it's gonna test for cortisol and cortisone plus its um, metabolites, which is going to test your cortisol curve. So that's your stress hormone. It's gonna let us know what it, your stress is doing in the morning, in the afternoon, uh, late afternoon and in the evening. And so you take like four different samples throughout the day um, in the evening. And then also it's gonna test your estrogens and the metabolites of estrogen, letting us know how you're breaking down your estrogens. You can't, you can't do that through a blood test. So just know that these metabolites are really important because they're letting us know exactly how these hormones are getting broken down into the body, which a blood test can't, can't, cannot detect. Um, it will also test your progesterone, your testosterone and your DHEA plus those metabolites. And then, you can add on other tests to this particular uh, lab, such as organic acid. So those are going to test for um, your B12 and B6 status, as well as a couple of neurotransmitters. And so that's kind of fun to kind of see, like, is that contributing? Um, and how does that picture, how do you put that whole full picture together um, if that's contributing to the symptoms that you're experiencing? Um, and then you can also do cycle mapping. So cycle mapping is a little bit more intense. <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like where you're actually testing 
your hormones every single day of your cycle to see what is going on. So it's going to measure progesterone and estrogen um, either through saliva or you could do it through dried urine, but it's going to let us know, give us a much better picture of, especially if you have like spotting in between your periods or if you have a really short cycle or a much longer cycle, it's just gonna give us a much better idea of exactly what's going on. Because when you're just doing it on one day, it's, it's much harder to determine. Um, you can learn more about that Dutch test. Like I said, Dr. Carrie Jones talks about it in episode 22 quite a bit, and then also on episode 70. And then when it comes to hormonal imbalances, it's also too important to consider environmental exposures to hormone disrupting toxins. This is a really big deal. Um, these are things like plastics, personal care products, cleaning products, pesticides. And uh, it's definitely something to get familiar about and start like, you know, getting familiar with your environment and seeing if you're actually being exposed to these things. There's a lot of things that I know in my situation that I was unaware of that was in my environment that once I started learning about this topic much more, it, it became a bigger priority for me. And I'm, I'm happy that I was able to make some really subtle changes that made it makes a big difference. So you can learn more about these particular hormones in episode 37. Now that is done with that topic. So we are going to, Kristen is going to talk more about diet and food sensitivity testing, which I know could be really interesting for a lot of people. Yeah. And just before we move on to this topic, I just want to mention that in conventional medicine, we really look for like that one thing, like what is your diagnosis? What is the thing that's wrong with you that's affecting your fertility? And, you know, when we start digging in and looking from a more functional perspective, we might not find just one thing. We might find a couple of different things and that might seem overwhelming and really stressful, but at the same time, those things might all be kind of more subtle and not be like a major health diagnosis, but just imbalances that when we take those things all together, like maybe individually, they're not even enough to cause issues with your fertility, but you add that together with a couple of other things and, and it could be causing enough of an imbalance to affect your cycle or your egg quality or your partner's semen quality or something like that. So I uh, just want to mention that there, that all of these different topics that we're talking about separately, like it might not just be one thing. It could be a combination of things that is contributing to this kind of unexplained diagnosis that you're getting in conventional medicine. So when we talk about diet and food sensitivities, uh, I do want to mention there's like kind of two main things here with diet. There's consuming foods that you might be sensitive to that your body is reacting negatively to, like your immune system is creating inflammation. And then there's also like the nutrient intake of your diet. So are you actually consuming enough nutrients and antioxidants from your food to support your menstrual cycle, to support your egg quality, to support your hormone production? And then there's also, are there like maybe toxic foods or like really unsupportive foods like trans fats or food additives, preservatives, colors, artificial ingredients, things like that, that wouldn't be supporting you. So I said two, but I guess that's kind of three considerations with diet. So some of the things that we might want to think about with diet, we've talked about it in a couple of other episodes. It's such a huge diet is such a huge topic. There's no way we can go into everything today in this episode. But some of the things that you might want to consider are, you know, are you 
eating animal products? Are you eating a vegetarian or a vegan diet that might be excluding some of the nutrients that you really need for menstrual cycle health and fertility, like preformed vitamin A. So beta carotene and vitamin A aren't the same thing. There's really no preformed vitamin A in a vegetarian or vegan diet. Um, if you're vegetarian and eating dairy and eggs, you're getting some, but if you're vegan, you're not getting any. B12 is another big consideration. Choline, nutrients like glycine, um, you know, there are, there are quite a few considerations. High quality, complete protein is one as well. So that's just something to consider. Some people do really well on a plant-based diet. Other people end up pretty nutrient deficient, and that's not something that your doctor is likely to discuss with you. So it is something you might want to think about if you have been eating that way and you're in that unexplained camp, diet might be a place that you could look. Another issue might be you know, maybe you are omnivorous, but you're not eating enough protein in your diet or you're not eating enough healthy fats. Your hormones, all of the sex hormones in your body are built off of cholesterol. They're steroid hormones and um, cholesterol is that backbone. And so it's really important to make sure that you're eating enough healthy fat as well as digesting your fats. So that kind of goes back to the gut health topic that we discussed earlier. How many fruits and vegetables are you eating in your diet? Are you eating enough to support your nutrient needs as well as your antioxidant needs? Antioxidants are going to come from those brightly colored organic fruits and veggies. And if you don't have enough of those in the diet, that could be affecting egg quality or semen quality for your partner. Um, are you getting enough um, iron and B vitamins? Iodine is a really important one. A lot of us aren't getting enough iodine because we don't really eat. Some of us don't eat a lot of seafood or sea vegetables, which is a really good source of iron. And those of us that are a little bit more health conscious have started switching to sea salt instead of iodized salt. And for some people, that was a really important uh, source of iron in their diet or of iodine in their diet. So if you're not doing iodized salt for health reasons, that's a good thing, but you need to make sure that you're getting um, iodine in your diet other places. Also something to consider, we talked about blood sugar balance and insulin resistance and prediabetes earlier and what a big impact that can have on hormones and menstrual cycle health, as well as the health of your pregnancy and future baby. Uh, so blood sugar balance is really important and that really goes back to how much sugar and starchy carbohydrate you're consuming in your diet. Also the processed foods and food additives that I mentioned, like fake ingredients that really aren't food, your body doesn't know what to do with those and they're really treated as toxins and that places extra burden on your liver to have to detoxify and deal with. And then of course there's trans fats, which are complete poison. So anything that is labeled as partially hydrogenated or hydrogenated is something to avoid. So a lot of butter imitations, margarine spreads, uh, commercial baked goods are, sources of trans fats that people might not be aware of. So those are all things, those are all questions that you can ask yourself. Are you consuming any of those things? Are you a little bit deficient in nutrients? This can be hard to assess for yourself and it is really helpful to have somebody do an assessment of your diet. Part of the intake process that I do at Tiny Feet is to do a five-day food journal so that I get a window into what your daily diet looks like. And that's not to judge you and tell you everything that you're doing wrong, but it's really to identify some opportunities for you to improve because it's very empowering to discover that something that's so easily within your control for most people could have such a, a huge impact on your fertility. And those are relatively easy changes. Like it can be a little tough to change your diet at first, but you get used to it over time. And if it's supporting your fertility, then that's kind of all you need to know. And then when it comes to food sensitivities, we really wanna make sure that we're identifying any foods that might be causing inflammation or activating your immune system. 
uh, that could be damaging your gut health and resulting in some of these nutrient deficiencies that we discussed. So food sensitivity symptoms, some people have a hard time identifying whether or not they're sensitive to foods and that's where it can be helpful to just do a short-term elimination and then add those back to see how your body reacts. But some of the symptoms that you might have some food sensitivities include digestive problems. So all the things that we talked about, those obvious digestive symptoms that we talked about when we discussed gut health, skin reactions like rashes, eczema, hives, uh, rosacea, things like that. Even acne can be a reaction to food. I see that really commonly with dairy and eggs in women. Asthma is a potential, potentially related to food sensitivities as are seasonal allergies, having chronic sinus issues like a constantly stuffy nose or post-nasal drip all the time or like clearing your throat a lot, joint pain, headaches, and mental health issues, which we discussed earlier as being really related to inflammation. So you can investigate food sensitivities in a couple of different ways. One way is to do testing. Uh, I've explored several different types of testing and used different ones in my practice. Um, I frequently use the mediator release test or MRT in my practice, but I have looked at others as well. And depending on the person, there might be different things that we would want to test for in different people, but there is no perfect test. We don't, we don't have the ability to quantify every single different way that your immune system might react to a food. We're just not there with the science yet. So still the gold standard to figure out whether or not you're sensitive to something is to temporarily remove it from your diet, allow your immune system to recover, and then add it back to see if it causes symptoms. So typically a 30-day elimination is sufficient to figure out whether or not you're having a reaction to something. And you do need to go through kind of a specific reintroduction process to figure out and you know journal and keep track of what foods are causing what symptoms. But some of the most common sensitivities, like a lot of people can make incredible progress just by taking these foods out. There may be others as well that you that are normal healthy foods that you could be sensitive to. But a lot of people can make progress just removing like gluten and dairy, sometimes corn, soy, eggs, and refined sugar are also issues. But those are probably like the six most common sensitivities that I see. And then we do talk extensively about food sensitivities. We break down each of these foods, <laughs> these different categories, why they're problematic, what's in these foods that causes issues or causes your immune system to react really strongly and leads to inflammation. And you can get all of that juicy information in episode 33 of the podcast. So awesome. I think, yeah, that's pretty good. I actually oh. forgot that we did that. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, gosh, man, we have a lot of great information here. Isn't it crazy that that was 40 episodes ago? Wow. That? I know. No wonder I forgot because that's almost a year ago. It was insane. So moving on, of course, after we talk about diet, we have to talk about lifestyle. And once again, I just want to reiterate that we're not saying that like stress or the things that we're going to talk about with lifestyle, we're not saying that those things all by themselves are causing infertility. I think of lifestyle as maybe more of a contributing factor, and it might be one of those small issues that taken together with other small issues could be causing a significant disruption. So Dr. Haley, why don't you cover lifestyle for us? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Especially because we have a tendency to compare ourselves with our friends and our family and are like, you know, but my mom didn't have this issue and et cetera, et cetera. And it really does, you know, kind of add up. It's just like a lot of different variables involved that um, maybe you have one kind of main thing going on. And then the lifestyle factors just kind of contribute to making that a little bit worse. Um, and then of course we can all benefit from having a more balanced 
type of lifestyle. So especially in the stress department. <laughs> so um, the very first thing that we want to talk about with lifestyle that is pretty dang obvious is if uh, there's any smoking going on, any alcohol, you know, chronic alcohol use or drugs, uh, you want to be able to deal with that because none of that's going to be helping you, um, whether you're trying to get pregnant or not. Um, and then I mentioned stress. So excessive stress can compromise that HPA axis, which is the hypothalamus pituitary, pituitary adrenal axis. And basically what that means is the communication from your brain to your adrenal glands. Um, you may have heard about like the fight or flight syndrome or not, it's not a syndrome, but like scenario where it's like, oh, you're running from a tiger or you freeze or you run away. And so it's, um, our body didn't evolve to really understand like what chronic stress is. And so when we're under chronic stress, we're constantly kind of thinking or our body's reacting kind of like with this running from a tiger situation. And that can cause a lot of, uh, endocrine imbalance in your body or other hormonal imbalance in your body, and especially with your like estrogen and progesterone levels, your menstrual cycle, et cetera. So um, other things that it can cause is blood sugar imbalances. That's a big one. So we really go into that in another episode that maybe Kristen can find out <laughs> about that, but also thyroid dysfunction. So oftentimes people wonder why they have thyroid, you know, really low like T3, but the rest of their thyroid panel is perfectly fine. That's often connected to stress um, or adrenal dysfunction. Um, and I al already mentioned your, your menstrual cycle. So uh, you, we talked about, or I talked about a little bit earlier, how you can test to see if you have adrenal dysfunction um, by doing the Dutch test or a salivary test. Um, another thing that we want to talk about with lifestyle is exercise. So a lot of people are not getting enough exercise, which can be detrimental to your health in many ways, as we all know. Um, however, you can also get uh, too much exercise. Um, so there's been a lot of studies that if you're getting too much like high intensity cardio type of workouts in, especially if you're not eating enough calories to offset that high intensity type of workouts, um, if you're, this could look like maybe if you're exercising more than an hour per day. So athletes, um, this happens to them where their menses will actually cease to exist. Um, and oftentimes that is because uh, their body is just, under this kind of chronic physical stress and it's not prioritizing reproduction at the moment. It's thinking, this isn't a good time to reproduce. I'm under all this type of physical stress. How the heck am I gonna make a baby? So I'm gonna put that in the back burner and, uh, and then the menstrual cycle ceases. So this is something that can be recovered, but, um, and I do wanna mention that everybody is different. So you kinda, kinda find that sweet spot where you are having a really healthy menstrual cycle, you're eating enough calories, um, and you're not kind of overdoing it. Um, and then, you know, getting at least a day of rest is really important. So like every other day exercise or doing like five days a week is something that we usually recommend. Um, and then I actually have a lot of patients that ask like, is exercise when you're trying to conceive going to be 
harmful to fertility? And absolutely not. It's actually really helpful. Um, just like exercise helps with everything else, you know, our brain health, our mood, or, you know, keeping our inflammation down, et cetera, et cetera. Like exercise actually really nourishes our hormonal system. Um, it helps with keeping us very insulin sensitive. And then it, of course, all of that is going to help nourish our ovaries. So we usually recommend like four to five days of moderate intensity type of exercise. Moderate means like you're getting a good sweat on, but you're not like dying. You can't, you can do like a high intensity type of workout, but that's going to be more on a shorter period, like maybe 10 minutes or 20 minutes. You're not doing it for like an hour plus. Does that make sense? You have, oh, Kristen wants to say something. <laughs> I just wanted to say that, I mean, most likely if you're, if you are coming from the place of unexplained infertility, you're not in that like hypothalamic amenorrhea, like you've lost your period because you're exercising so hard. What I see with a lot of clients is that they have regular cycles, but their hormones just might be a little bit kind of dimmed or affected from too much exercise, like affecting their cortisol levels. So this is kind of more of like that subtle imbalance that might be created by just overdoing it even a little bit and putting your body into that more stressful state. So obviously if you're not having a period, that's not unexplained infertility, but yeah. if you are just kind of like overdoing it just a little bit too much, and that's too much stress on your body to be able to really support that good hormone production. And for your body to be able to say that innate intelligence to say, yes, this is a good time to be bringing new life into the world. Like that's really what yeah. we're targeting with exercise. Yeah. And I mentioned it twice, but I'll mention it a third time is making sure that you're getting enough calories to offset that type of exercise. If you're on this like super weight loss journey, like that's great. Um, however, just understand that that also may, you know, there has to be, you can't be super calorie deficient and also expect to have great fertility at the same time. So there has to be a nice balance between that. Um, all right. And the next one is lack of sleep. This is huge for so many people, usually connected with stress too. So uh, we really do need seven plus hours of sleep per night on a consistent basis to function well, for our body to function well, to us to detox well, um, or detox well, is that a good sentence? I don't know. To sure. detoxify well. <laughs> and um you know, to deal with stress. I, sleep is really, really important. It really is like right up there with diet and um, exercise and everything else that we talk about. So please don't uh, dismiss sleep as just a bodily function that has to happen. And if you get like five or six hours, great. Um, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you feel like you need to take naps, please take them. Like your body's trying to tell you something. Um, if you're dealing with something that's chronic, um, then you'll probably need more sleep to function great. So probably like more around nine hours and that's okay. That's okay. Your body needs that. It's telling you, I need that type of sleep in order to deal with the thing that it's dealing with. And that actually can create healing over time. So it doesn't mean that you're just going to be like a nine to 10 hour sleeper for the rest of your life. Um, it may feel like that, but the more you can like allow your body to get that kind of rest, the more it will be able to heal and, and process everything that's going on and eventually get back to a state of normalcy for you. Um, and then the last thing is um, if you have any type of history of physical or emotional trauma, so this is kind of like mind-body medicine, just really taking care of 
um, any type of like emotional blocks that might be there, um, spiritual blocks, you know, um, that's something that we're not like obviously experts on, but we do know that that can affect us um, on an emotional level as well. So that's something that you'll want to address and should be addressed. And I think that can help you um, deal with any type of frustration that you're having with the infertility or an unexplained infertility diagnosis as well. Yes, absolutely. Anything to add? No, that was great. All right. All right. So the last thing that we're going to talk about is anything else <laughs> that we haven't touched on. All <laughs> so the other things. If we haven't like completely blown your mind by now or overwhelmed you, um, hopefully uh, this will do it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it probably will. But we're going to just touch on a few more things that to consider if you're like, you guys, I've done all that. I've done all that. And I'm still sitting here like completely clueless. We're going to give you some other ideas. Yeah. So each of these could be their own podcast episode, which is why we're kind of mentioning them here. And they're typically not the first line type of investigations that we would do in our respective practices. So these would be things that I would look into if we've done some of the other things that we've discussed earlier on in the episode, the conventional evaluation's been done. We've looked at gut health. We've looked at hormones. We've addressed diet and lifestyle and we're still struggling to really like find the root of, of chronic symptoms or issues, or we just really feel like we need to look deeper to understand what's happening with fertility. We're just not getting the answers that we need. These are all categories that we could look into deeper. So the first one that I want to mention is actually having some genetic SNP testing or single nucleotide polymorphisms, basically looking at what some of your genetic predispositions are. Do you have a predisposition toward a particular nutrient deficiency or several nutrient deficiencies like B vitamins with uh, like MTHFR that could be affecting your fertility? Do you have SNPs that slow down your detoxification or reduce your ability to internally produce antioxidants like your production of glutathione? Do you have a genetic predisposition toward having slower or lower production of glutathione? And there are also genetic SNPs that affect hormones. There are several in particular that affect our estrogen levels and cre can create pretty significant imbalances between estrogen and progesterone and create a lot of those estrogen dominance type symptoms. So if we're like trying to address that, but we're really struggling to gain some traction on those symptoms, then uh, something like genetic SNP testing can give us a better understanding of why you might be struggling in that area and how we could support you long-term. So I usually think of genetics not as the first thing that we would investigate, but something that can help support things that we're already seeing in other labs. I find that SNP testing is most helpful to kind of support and explain what we might be seeing on a Dutch test, for instance, especially with hormones or if we suspect that there might be an issue with detoxification or nutrient status, the, these genetic reports can really help with that. Um, the, the testing that we most enjoy using in our practice uh, is MaxGen Labs, uh, and that's not 23andMe. It's different than 23andMe. It's nice to be able to have the entire process of both testing the genetics as well as reporting all in the same service. Because with 23andMe, you really just get this like raw data that you have to then share and pay for another service to interpret that for you and tell you what your SNPs are. So MaxGen Labs not only does all of that for you in one test, but they also destroy your genetic sample after you give it. So um, you don't have your, your personal genetic data hanging out at a company somewhere. 
The next thing to talk about, and oh, by the way, we did talk about genetics a couple of times on the podcast. We interviewed Dr. Ben Lynch um, about his book, Dirty Genes, and also discussed several of the SNPs that are important to consider for fertility and pregnancy specifically back in episode 35. Uh, the next test to think about is one that I have actually just started using recently in practice, but is extremely helpful. I've actually had this done on myself personally, and it was very illuminating. That's an organic acids test. And so this is a urine test that tests for a bunch of different metabolites of different things. And what it's assessing for are things like nutrient and antioxidant deficiencies, which can have a big impact on ovarian function and egg quality. Also tests for mitochondrial function or basically cellular energy production. Your egg cells have so many mitochondria, they are energy powerhouses and you need good mitochondrial function to fully mature and develop your egg cells to prepare for a healthy ovulation and have a healthy egg cell. So cellular energy production, if there's something that's causing mitochondrial dysfunction in your body, that is going to have a significant impact on fertility. And that's not necessarily going to be identified through some of the other testing that we've discussed already. Now, a lot of that mitochondrial function can be addressed through some of the other things that we've talked about, like you know, making sure that your gut health is in good working order, that you have a good diet, that your lifestyle is supporting you really well, and some hormone investigation and like maybe adrenal support or making sure that you're not burning yourself out with too much cortisol. Those can all help with mitochondrial function, but there may be some underlying issues that we could identify on an organic acids test that we wouldn't find on some of the other testing. You can also get an idea of whether or not you're struggling with bacteria or yeast overgrowth. Now, you can get this information partly from a GI map or a Genova GIFX test, but um, organic acids assesses this a little bit differently, and it's actually a better test if you suspect fungal overgrowth or yeast in somebody. Organic acids is actually a better way to test for that than stool testing. So if that's a possibility, organic acids can really help assess that further. Um, you can also assess neurotransmitter imbalances with an organic acids test, metabolic function, like your carbohydrate or fatty acid metabolism. You can get an idea of that as well as possible toxic exposures. It won't, an oat won't tell you what you're being exposed to, but it can give you an idea of whether or not toxicity might be a problem for you. And then that can lead into the next type of testing that I'm going to talk about, which is some type of toxicity testing. There's obviously a lot of different environmental toxins that we might be exposed to. And so in my practice, it's just important to really take a history. And if I suspect toxicity, then make sure that I'm guiding that client toward the correct testing for them. So with some people, I might suspect heavy metals. Um, heavy metals would be one of the most common exposures to those that I would see and notice right away in practices if somebody has a mouthful of amalgam fillings, because that can cause um, chronic mercury exposure and buildup, especially if you have genetics that don't allow you to detoxify as efficiently as other people, you might be affected by those more than somebody else would be. But there are also lots of other environmental pollutants. And if we have those slow detoxification pathways that can really build up and cause oxygen oxidative stress and damage ovarian function and egg quality. And so there are several different types of testing in this category of tox toxicity testing and what's right for you is really going to depend on your individual circumstances. And that's definitely something that you would want to work one-on-one -on -one with, especially if you're going to think about taking on a detoxification protocol, because those are really important to make sure that you're working with someone who knows what they're doing so that you stay safe. Some other things that you can look at are mold testing. 
depending on where you live in the United States, this might be a more common problem than it is in other places. But here in the Pacific Northwest, mold is an extremely common issue. And a lot of people have no idea that they're being exposed. You can't always see mold in a water damaged building. Could be coming from your home, especially if your home is a little bit older. Could be coming from your workplace. Um, if you, you know, smell mold or must in places, that's a good indication that there could have been some water damage and you might be exposed to mold. But there are some people that are just genetically susceptible or might have other conditions going on that makes them very, very susceptible to mold illness, to experiencing significant inflammation and illness from mold exposure. And so this is something that I might investigate in somebody if we're not seeing progress in other areas and they have a lot of symptoms that might be consistent with mold. I really would like to do an entire episode about mold on the podcast. Um, and I have a couple of people in mind that we might be able to talk to about that. So stay tuned for more information about mold and how that might affect fertility. But just know that that is a possible confounding factor if you're not finding healing with some of these other tests that we have mentioned. And then there may also be chronic infections going on. So if you have a history of viral exposure, like Epstein-Barr virus, if you've had mono, you could be dealing with some type of chronic viral load. Cytomegalovirus is another one. And then there's also Lyme disease. And I actually just had somebody email me in response to the last Q&A episode that we did asking if we were planning to do an episode on Lyme disease and fertility. And I'm very interested in discussing Lyme. I know it's a little bit of a, of a niche topic, but I do think that for the people that it applies to, it would be extremely helpful. So stay tuned for that as well. Um, and then I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier when we were talking about gut health, but it is possible to have a brewing autoimmune disease that has not been diagnosed or identified yet. And when we're talking about autoimmune disease, you're typically not diagnosed until you show significant symptoms or tissue damage from an autoimmune disease. It's your immune system attacking some type of tissue or organ system in your body. And most people aren't diagnosed until they've had a significant amount of damage done. But if you have, if you're producing autoantibodies, but you haven't developed enough symptoms or had enough damage happen to have this diagnosed in conventional medicine, you might be missing that this is happening in your body, especially if you don't have a lot of those underlying gut symptoms that might make us look there first. Autoimmunity could be going on underneath the surface. So that's something to talk to your practitioner about and look a little bit deeper into. And then the last thing, I'm sure it's not the last thing, but it's the last thing on this particular list for today. I'm sure there are other things we could talk about. Um, but we did just address this a couple weeks ago on the podcast with Angela Heap, who's a nutritional therapist in the UK. We talked about vaginal and uterine microbiome imbalances. And that's an awesome episode. You guys definitely check that out. It's very sciencey, especially toward the beginning, but there's a lot of really cool information in there. If you're somebody that suffers from chronic UTIs, yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, recurrent implantation failure, lack of thickening of the uterine lining during fertility treatment cycles, uh, abnormal cervical mucus patterns, or just like weird mucus throughout your cycle, spotting between periods, things like that. Those are all indications that there could be something going on with those bugs in the vagina or in the uterus. And 
we have testing available for that. It's not as accessible. Uh, and some fertility clinics don't do it at all. If your doctor's not familiar, it might be hard to get your hands on, but it is definitely worth looking into if you have any of those issues that I just mentioned, because that could be really affecting your ability to have a successful implantation or even just for sperm to be able to get up, like to live long enough through this, you know, potentially hostile environment. If you have a, an imbalanced vaginal microbiome to be able to get into the uterus for implantation. So I know that's a lot of information. And like I said, this last category of things are not the first line of investigation. These are things that we would do um, if you're not seeing progress with some of those other testing methods. But I'm just hoping that it gives you guys an idea that there is so much more to look into here. And um, you know, we, we rarely get to a place where we're just like, yeah, I don't know, we don't know what to do with you. I guess you're just still unexplained. <laughs> that doesn't really yeah. happen in natural medicine, especially with really curious practitioners. So. Yeah. And I think it's just important to understand that, um, you know, it takes patience, a lot of patience, a lot of just chugging along and um, just trying to trust that we'll figure it out and trust your body that it wants to be healthy. You know, we mentioned that many times before. It's, it's not, um, you know, your body isn't against you. It's, it's, innately supposed to be fertile. And so we're just here to investigate and really kind of uncover what is it that is, is uh, directly affecting you. And, um, and hopefully it's something that is quite simple, you know, something that we can just make a little adjustments here and there and that's it. And we don't have to worry about anything else that Kristen just listed out, <laughs> which would be great. But um, just, it's good to know that there is a lot of options out there for you and to never stop investigating and trying, um, to figure it, to figure that out. If you feel like you don't have any hope, um, there is hope. So yeah, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you have any comments, please, uh, send Kristen an email and let us know. And, uh, we will definitely see you next time. Sounds good.